Martin, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Good to have you on the program. Pleased to be here, Brett. Great to speak again. So the first question, as it always is, is how did you get here and what do you make? So we're from Additive Assurance and we make quality assurance solutions for metal 3D printers, particularly laser powder bed fusion printers. So this is a, it's quite a long backstory as any startup typically is, mm-hmm. but originally came out of Monash University where we were researching originally fatigue of metal additive manufactured parts. And some of the main ways in which uh, metal additive manufacturing parts fail in fatigue is, is less about the microstructure and more about the, the macrostructure or points of failure that are built in using the manufacturing steps themselves. So mm-hmm. that's where we, we started from. And along the way, we uh, had some issues with a particular printer. We had issues with laser stability and things like that. And to cut a long story short, we ended up researching ways to identify when faults were occurring on that machine. So when we did that, we started taking it to the next level and started digging into the the data that we were getting out of it using this new sensor that we uh, put together in the lab. And uh, we realized that we could spot the formation of different defects and very small defects using this technology. So when that happened, we, of course, got very excited and, uh, yeah, started talking to the industry about what this could mean. It turns out there was a lot of people that were very interested and very keen to solve this problem of quality control. So the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it all started out of a tinkering in the lab effectively and grew from there. I remember last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were at, I think, a Woodside Energy Lab, is that the name of it? And you were installing a concept laser printer of some kind and the issue you were having completely confounded the IT help at the other end. Is that more or less the case? Yeah. Uh, not to say anything bad about concept laser necessarily, but mm-hmm. it could happen to anyone. We had a, a machine that I was looking after in the new uh, Woodside Innovation Centre, as it was at the time, and had some significant faults. Yeah, I was uh, looking into why those faults were occurring. And one of the difficult things, if you're buying a machine from, in this case, Germany, from the other side of the world, is trying to convince them to send a technician out to the other side of the world to come and fix it when a problem occurs. So, yeah, we uh, had to gather very extensive information about the the faults of the machine to be able to convince them to come out so eventually i fixed that machine so that was all all uh, all's well that ends well but what was what really came from that was the discovery of this melt pool imaging technique that we've used and been able to establish as a, a quality measurement method for metal additive manufacturing Right. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about melt pool imaging and how Amorous works. Could you tell me how that happens and if the complicated geometries that additive manufacturing designers seem so in love with are any sort of obstacle to what you're doing? Yeah, no. So with additive manufacturing, of course, the benefit is that you can place material more or less wherever you need to to create a fairly optimal design. Of course, there are some caveats and restrictions as there are with any manufacturing technique. But the, the freedom and the flexibility is, is quite captivating. With our methodology, um, we're really filling that gap. So using 3D printing, placing material wherever you want it, there can be some differences in the thermal pathways and in the consolidation of that material and interaction with the 
with the laser and the material itself leading to yeah, defect formations that are very much undesirable. So being able to inspect them all, all at the same time is really what we offer and, and what we've been able to do and uh, the entire reason why we exist. And yeah, so it's, it's been really great to yeah, be able to offer that to a service to a broad range of different manufacturers around the world. Nice. And your existence has been validated a little further this week with the news of your raise, which is why we're talking. Is it a Series A that release didn't mention or is it a post-seed or what's the uh, sort of status of it? Uh, in this day and age, you can call fundraising rounds what you want. I think they've, I think those terms really don't mean very much these days. They're um, sort of decorative, but, uh, right? Needless to say, this is our is our third funding round now. If uh, then we've also had some grants along the way, so yeah, call it what you want, I guess. <laughs> okay. Of course, I'd like to know what this round, whatever you want to call it, is going to enable. What are you going to take on board in terms of extra technical and business development expertise? And what on earth is a additive manufacturing quality assurance center of excellence as you're looking to set up? Yeah, we've got some big plans coming up in the next little while, next year or two. Yeah, predominantly we've found that this technology in the space that we're working in is quite global. So having coming from Australia is fantastic to have, you know, a strong access to talent and the great resources and support that we have here. But you know, fundamentally as a manufacturing company to have yeah, to have scale, you need to be able to reach those major overseas markets and have a have a presence there so we need to set up those functions in, in some of those countries sales and support and those kinds of things so that's, that's part of it but the other part of it is yeah that center of excellence that you mentioned there brent so we're creating a, a demonstration facility that will allow uh, operators to come in and, and experience our technology and experience the benefits of additive manufacturing but at the same time as well allow us to continue to evolve our product offerings and yeah, serve as a test bed for enhancing the quality of 3D printed parts. And so I'd like to know a little bit about what people are saying about deep tech startups because they have gotten quite a bit of attention in the last few years and you hear that with the economy slowing down, people are more reluctant to invest in something that might be perceived as risky because, of course, Deep tech, call it that if you want, is a hard thing, generally speaking, to do. What have you noticed from people considering investments? Has it become a little harder? Has there been a little more justification involved to put your case to investors? The industry is always evolving and different. I think there's always, when it comes to deep tech, there's always a hot button topic of the minute, and that continuously changes. If you look back 12 or 24 months, you know, crypto and uh, crypto-related technologies and uh, other new finance-related uh, things were the, the flavour of the moment and attracted mm -hmm. a significant amount of funding. But now that's obviously gone quite the opposite direction <laughs> with recent uh, developments in particular. But then, you know, that's obviously continuing to evolve and there's always these hot-button topics. I think the thing that's really important to mention, no matter what the flavour of the day is, is... For companies that are doing good work and building real products with real clients, there's always a market for that and there's always funding available for those businesses. It may be difficult to you know, get an introduction to some of these venture groups if 
you're not tackling one of those hot-button topics of the day. But it's still, with good work, producing good products, that speaks volumes and it speaks louder than tackling whatever is the, the flavor of the minute. Yep. Right. And so I'd like to know something, please, about what you've noticed looking at the sort of culture and the appreciation of university spin-outs, which is obviously what your, your company is. You're studying to be an engineer at RMIT and you've been looking at this sort of industry of additive manufacturing and businesses emerging from it in recent years. What have you noticed regarding appreciation of university spin-outs in the last, I don't know, however many years you would want to go back? Yeah, it's really changed and really changed for the better. So this is one thing I think the Australian tech transfer community or commercialization community can be really proud of is the changes that have been made, particularly, I'd say, uh, in the last 10 years. Although I know the seeds were founded even well before that. In that time, it used to be so incredibly difficult for researcher, and in some institutes it still is, to get the ability and, I guess, the blessing of the higher-ups to even consider pursuing commercial outcomes. And it's it's quite a personal risk as well, particularly when it comes to career academics, to take some piece of technology they've been working on and then attempt to make a, a commercial outcome. Um, it can be, if they're not careful, quite damaging to their career as well in academia so that entire picture is now beginning to change so there's a some really good headwinds in terms of or just tailwinds i should say yeah. um <laughs> supporting yeah academics and, and researchers and the like to actually commercialize this technology because slowly but surely we're starting to see we're waking up to what's happening around the world whether that's in like the us and israel is some of the biggest commercialization hubs and then across europe to a to a certain extent as well, seeing what you can do when you take commercialization seriously and the fact that it's not a polar opposite to research, which it was viewed as being for, for quite a long time. get some people who are very good at machine learning and obviously they're quite sought after by all sorts of businesses and the labor market is tight and has been for some time. Tell me about what you're experiencing with trying to recruit people with the right skills and particularly those with previous industry experience. Mm, yeah, it's often hard for a small startup to attract some some of those positions and some of, those, some of that talent that is required. But I think there's a definitely been a shift towards startups in the last few years, which is which is really positive and really encouraging to see, as more and more people are, are willing to take that risk and go and work for a small company. It's still quite difficult coming off the back of COVID to get some of those positions. So we're definitely hiring at the moment. So if anyone that is listening is uh, looking for a, a role with some cutting edge machine learning techniques in additive manufacturing, definitely reach out to me. <laughs> that aside, I think we're starting to see the, the back of the COVID related problems slowly dissipating, which is really exciting. And the other thing too, is obviously that some of these large tech companies that have, have been around that were hiring very large numbers of particularly software developers are now starting to release some of the extra people that they hired and they didn't really need. 
And so we're starting to see some more talent free up on the markets, which is good for small players and good for innovation as a whole. Even though there are potentially some headwinds leading into next year, quite optimistic about being able to get talent and retain talent and grow businesses in this environment. Well, on to tailwinds and optimism. Tell me about some of your international customers, some of the people you're able to work with and who have liked your technology enough to become a partner to you. You've only really mentioned Volkswagen publicly. Are there any other international customers who you're able to speak about? Yeah, so we're working with quite a range across quite a few uh, automotive clients of ours and in aerospace as well in particular, plus a few niche manufacturers around the world and back here in Australia as well. But unfortunately, I'm not able to mention their names publicly at Fair this enough. time. Yeah, I wish I could, but stay tuned and probably have more to say on that in the time to come. Okay, well, I'll keep an eye out for that. You've been, as I mentioned earlier, engineer interested in and working with additive manufacturing involving metal for quite some time. I'd like to know your view on some of the real important technological improvements that have been made since you started getting interested and where do you think the next set of innovations will come from? Yeah, that's a great question. Metal additive manufacturing has definitely gone through a few different peaks and waves of of both technology and interests and applications. We've seen it obviously on a very strong upward trajectory for a number of years and the market reports are definitely painting a very promising future for metal additive manufacturing as a whole. I think some of the big changes that we're seeing at the moment in terms of the productivity are really pushing the boundaries of what was possible a few years ago. So now in the last six months or so, we've seen some very, very large machines come online producing components using laser powder bed of several meters in size, which is unheard of before. And in the the other wire additive and and cold spray technologies as well, we're seeing some very large and very high productivity machines come on market, which is by itself fantastic to see. But I think the, the next thing that is still lacking in that space is probably the economic side of it and then the the quality side of it as well. And obviously I've got my own bias when it comes to the quality. But on the cost side in particular, we're still seeing very, very large capex required to get into this industry. And so some companies are starting to make headway in that space, reducing the, the capital requirements and increasing the productivity, meaning that the costs of parts are coming down. But yeah, then it's also about balancing that with the the quality component and how well you can make parts. So there's some interesting developments in that space, but I guess it's more about continuing to evolve and slowly but surely grow the technology maturity. Right. And I'd like to get your point of view, please. Obviously, you're dealing with quality of, of metal parts made by laser bed powder fusion. How many broken or you know failed parts do people generally see when they're creating a new batch of whatever? Just tell me about the situation because you know most people could not afford, don't use, have no experience with expensive machines of that kind. And they think, oh, well, this is an interesting thing for my business. I might buy one and end up finding out that it might not make sense because nothing works and it's difficult and it's expensive and everything else. Tell me about the situation with failed parts, please. So this is one of those things that's highly variable. So you can go into 
very experienced machine shops and their failure rates can be relatively low, sort of on par with what you would expect from a CNC production facility. When I say very low, potentially in the single digit percentages in terms of part failures and rejects based on failed outcomes. But then if you can walk into some other shops, you can see a very different outcome. You see failure rates up to 60 or 70%, you know, more than one in two parts failed and you see huge bins of scrapped and failed parts. And the difference between those two things is probably twofold. One, what they're trying to build and what they're trying to achieve. And secondly, the experience of the operator. Mm -hmm. Um, In additive manufacturing, the experience factor is possibly the largest determining factor of success and being able to get talent and and people that actually have done it before and and know all of the trappings of additive manufacturing, part design, how to run the equipment um, is, is really pivotal in creating high and quality production facilities. So if you were uh, looking at getting into additive manufacturing, particularly metal additive for the first time, I cannot stress the importance enough of speaking to uh, industry experts and people that have been there and done it before because you could spend a lot of time and money on repeating those mistakes or you could engage with someone and hire people that have done it before. Yeah, if that was me, I'd know which one I would be going with. And so another sort of stock question for this series is, why does Australia need a strong manufacturing ecosystem based on what you've seen so far in your fairly young career and uh, some of the work you've been involved in and people you've spoken to? What's your answer to that question? Yeah, Brent, the question of manufacturing in Australia is is an interesting one. In my relatively short career still, I've seen the complete retraction of the automotive manufacturing sector. And when I graduated, that was basically unfolding at that time. Seeing that as a backdrop and coming into the manufacturing ecosystem, you would think young engineers such as myself are a little bit naive to go into manufacturing with that as a backdrop. But I think the thing that's probably most interesting here is that it is a really global manufacturing sector regardless. So in Australia, we have some incredible talent. We have some incredible ideas. We have people that are making and are conceiving of some world-leading products. And some of those make sense to manufacture here and some of them don't. So creating an ecosystem and and maintaining an ecosystem across different manufacturing modalities has been a really important enabler for, for those inventions to get off the ground. And so it'd be great to see more of this. However, it's one of those things that there is access to this manufacturing capability around the world and we do live in a a globalized society. So yeah, it's it's an interesting question and it's not necessarily clear that we should be making lots of low value products ourselves given our wage structure and given our relative geographic isolation. So having some of those key pieces is really important and something that I, I really like to see. However, It's not important necessarily that we make absolutely everything ourselves in Australia. I would agree. The Kmart knickers are a job for someone else. I mean, if we could (laughs) produce them, great, but it just kind of doesn't make sense when you're not adding very much value to something and having to pay people who command first world wages. Yeah, that's right. Well, the other factor too to, to remember particularly is the environmental impact of, take that example of the low value Kmart products, 
it doesn't make sense necessarily to ship some of those very large bulky things around the world and the, the carbon footprint of that shipping is going to become it is already and will become more and more important so there is a, a case for making some of those low value bulky products but it's yeah just it's difficult to justify when there are others that do it better than us and can always do it better than us based on their scale of their economies so yeah not a not an easy question yeah there are a lot of parts to it and i don't have a coherent answer and wouldn't even really attempt it i prefer to ask other people which is what i'm doing here (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty much everything i wanted to ask you've been generous with your time and i would like to give you the floor for a moment if you have anything to plug you're welcome to do so now i think the only thing that would be great to say is that we'd be at uh, avalon air show coming up early next year and so look forward to seeing a range of the yeah australian manufacturing and defense community at avalon next year fantastic well i will see you there and i'll probably see many in the audience and it'll be a good time i'm sure anyway martin it's been fantastic to talk to you thanks for your time and congratulations again on the round thanks very much brett great to speak